buds. <laughs> Bible butts? Bible buds. <laughs> um, is it a play on bubble butt? It's bubble butts is the name of the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome um, to bubble butts, that. Ryan. So, bubble bubble buds bubble bubble buds yeah uh, andrew why don't you give our our guest uh, a kind introduction yeah so this week we got uh ryan sharp on the podcast and i met ryan through um a men's retreat that i attended back in november um and he led some of that crew on a nice um inward psychedelic journey at the end of the retreat which was uh pretty awesome but yeah we just kind of hit it off it you know we have some some similarities in terms of being musicians and uh having um you know been in the church uh, i think ryan was in the church more into further into his adult life than i was but we'll get into that and uh yeah ryan's just an overall interesting insightful dude so i'm excited to hear your story more in depth i, I sort of know the o- general points in the general arc but um yeah we'll get into that and then we'll we'll talk a little bit about the good word mm. <laughs> but before we do that ryan uh why don't you just tell us how how you've been holding up amidst all of this uh craziness the last couple months what craziness is that <laughs> well, that's right. I forgot. You never leave your home. Have you not you heard? Just, I never leave my home. <laughs> yeah. There's a global pandemic. I've really. I've been. I've been quarantined for about 14 years now. I don't <laughs> talk to many people. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, it's uh, when you say that retreat was back in November. I'm like, when was that? <laughs> how how long or how short ago was that? It. it Time it has certainly been, or our, our our individual perceptions of time has certainly been affected in this whole thing. You know, the question of how I'm doing with it, um, I can tell you that right now, today, I feel just fine. <laughs> but in an hour, or an hour ago, or yesterday, or tomorrow, it might be different. Yeah, <laughs> because. It's it's been a um I don't know about you guys but I've had a pretty um a pretty serious fluctuation um I wouldn't even just say it's like highs and lows fluctuation it's kind of like a all over the place like the first week that it happened um I I remember having this real sense of optimism in the face of all this shit because I've been I have been, for lack of a better word, prophesying for years now that we were in the late times of our modern era and that it seemed like we were primed for a new world to emerge. And of course, I, I don't think anybody knows what that looks like, but there was a even the even when people were reading that uh when people were reading the, the Trump election as this, you know, this like doubling down on the old world still being alive and well, I actually saw it as sort of like the the last death throes of yeah. the old world. And so in that first week, there was a sort of optimism about what could come next. And I remember reading articles and sharing articles that sort of were, t- were discussing this idea, kind of a, in some ways, kind of an age of Aquarius rally without mm-hmm. using that phrase. Um, 
And then the next week, you know, it sort of settled in in a different way. And then the next week, as my business kind of barely hung on for dear life, I, I, I really sunk into kind of a depression. Um, and over the last couple of weeks, I've introduced some routine to my life. Actually, over the last month, I've introduced some routine to my life. And that's certainly give, given me a, a, a greater sort of emotional stability. But it feels like a dream. It feels like a dream. For sure. Yeah, I feel it. Like, I remember the first week I like I rushed into like helper mode and I was just like, who needs me to like who in my neighborhood needs me to get them groceries and like who needs help cooking and like who needs financial assistance amidst this and like, you know, I'm I'm sitting all right in all of those regards. So I was like, let me see what I can do to help. And I did that for about two and a half weeks and then I said, I've fucking hate everything right now and i'm gonna help only myself for a while <laughs> oh we lost we lost you <clears throat> there we go am i back you're, you're back. back okay Whew, that was terrifying we lost him for yeah. a second folks i i thought i thought that my computer had been infected with coronavirus oh no it, it was gonna get on a ventilator and <laughs> now, i don't know it's probably too soon for jokes like that so <laughs> it's I'm yeah laughing. apologies no i i think jokes are necessary at this time also there's there's so much crazy information about what is working and what is not working now they're starting to say oh, like yeah. some doctors believe that the ventilators are actually allowing these people to die because their bodies are giving up because they're going on the ventilator and and sometimes doctors are recognizing that that is not the best thing for some of these people that are having extreme respiratory issues. It's it, it's wild. Right. I was hanging out with a friend the other day, and sort of out of nowhere, he just goes, "Yeah, it's ma it's man made. I'm I'm pretty sure." <laughs> and I'm just like, "What?" He's like, "I know it's like a conspiracy theory, but I just feel in my heart, it's man made." And uh, and I was like, "All right, man, cool. Well." Yeah, I was like, the way that I feel about that is uh, whether it was man-made or made by Mama E, uh, the outcome for me is exactly the same. So I really just have no space for that in my brain and could care less about like any crazy conspiracy theory because it has no real impact on my day-to-day -day life. So if that makes you, gives you comfort in some way, sure, what, whatever. But I was like, yeah, I don't, you know, it's also, it's just, it's just not, I, I don't think that's true, but. Well, here's, here's the thing. So we don't know, right? I mean, like, no. like, what, like you're saying, you're like, you're like, I don't really care to entertain that because there's a, there's a million theories that you could entertain right now. Right. But, but there is something about all of this, the, the administration's approach, what's going on in the world, uh, the, the trade deal, uh, oil futures trading at negative prices. There's so much craziness happening right now. Mm -hmm. And the human mind always wants to assemble things. So, so data is just data. It's right. out there. And it, it only becomes important when we when we put it into a bucket called a narrative. And so right now you have a million different narratives on what could potentially be going on. Right. And I, while most people that I interact with 
are certainly not what you would think of as conspiracy theorists. I think everybody's kind of running their own small amount of conspiracy theory testing because things are just so insane that it's like, surely this can't just be, you know, the coronavirus or surely this can't just be, there has to be something else at play here. Yeah. Yeah. What else is going on? And I I think of, I think of uh, Hamlet, you know, the, the, the line, uh, there is something rotten in the state of Denmark. Like there is, there is, there is that feeling broadly, whether you're a conservative or a liberal or like me, neither, like there's still some sense of like, oh, something seems up. And so maybe it is that it was crafted in a lab. Maybe it is that it's just pure mother nature doing what she does. But I think we're more inclined right now to ask, yeah, but what's what's really going on? Because there's so much crazy stuff happening. Like, did you read those articles that, you know, uh, uh, like back in March, there were like asteroids that were like going to be like a near miss. And then like in April, there was like a comet that was going to be a near miss. And 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 it's like Department of Homeland or the State Department was like saying that all American citizens need to get back to the U.S. immediately. Whoa. And it's like when you when you line all these things up, it's hard to just be like, yeah, it's just a coronavirus. Like the mind wants to know for sure. So the thing is, like you said, I don't know. I don't know, but I, I there's only so much space that you can give to certain things. Right. Yeah. I, as I get older, I just start to realize that it's like, yeah, if I don't if I don't care about it, then like I don't yeah, I just I whatever. Like I just have other shit I need to worry about. And when it comes to conspiracy theories, I just always think of this Alan Moore quote where he's like, you know, the main thing that I learned about conspiracy theory is that conspiracy theorists believe in a conspiracy because it's more comforting. The truth of the world is that it is actually chaotic. The truth uh, is that it is not the Illuminati or the Jewish banking conspiracy or the great alien theory. The truth is far more frightening. Nobody is in control. The world is rudderless. I mean, yeah, there's, you know, yes, it's like yes and no, but I I do. I, I, I appreciate that sentiment and it does help me understand why people um, glom on to like these narratives that you're talking about. Cause yeah, it helps them feel comfort and feel like they understand and like they maybe do have some kind of control cause they, they got something to blame it on. Totally. But let's, let's, let's just be clear. So we're, so we're, we're sort of like casting light into places that we are at. So you could actually make a case, Andrew, that your conspiracy theory that makes you feel comfortable is that there are no conspiracy theories, right? Which is also or that the conspiracy theories don't hold water because here's the thing the that 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 the thing that animates conspiracy theories according to the author that you just read is this deep desire for comfort and no ability in the world mm-hmm. and that is you know that is universal to to some extent um, that well, desire for uh I would say certainty, but I think certainty is actually animated by it's a desire for safety and predictability that our right. species has always sought to some extent. But we come up against nature, and and that is where the chaos um, – that's, that's where the chaos lives. And also where order lives, but it is where chaos lives. Yeah, for sure. 
I just still can't. It's hard for me to want to invest my time into going down the deep rabbit hole of yeah. these these conspiracies. At at some point, it's just not where I can spend my energy. Yeah, right I'm just now. Oh, but it's so I'm much fun. It's fun. It You're is fun. Missing out. I'm just so much fine with the uncertainty. I like the uncertainty. <laughs> it, the uncertainty, I guess, is comforting to me because that is just where I sort of operate with all things. So. Is I'm just like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> yeah, and it's not, it's just like I was telling you last week, Andrew. It's like not that these things are not entertaining to me, and I do understand the reasoning for people cultivating these conspiracy theories and whatnot. It's just I cannot I think it's really easy to like go down that rabbit hole right. and just have you, that you, infecting my mind and, and I don't I can't you I can't might just want right to spend now. your time watching a, a nice documentary on, you know, the birds or uh some cool sixties <laughs> band or something, uh instead of going down conspiracy theory. Yeah, I can't levels. do the Zeitgeist documentary again. No, we've <laughs> we've been there. We've done that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know I have a not entirely healthy obsession with exploring as many angles as possible. And I can't necessarily say why, like, I don't know what exactly animates that. I think it's that if it's that there's some part of me that thinks that I could find the loophole or the, or the web that like puts everything together into a a cohesive whole but i remember in my early days of christianity there was this opposing sense that i was always up against that said things like be very careful what you put into your mind or what be very careful what you open yourself up to because as soon as you open yourself up to it it offers this like pathway for satan to just like you know, grab in. So the the Christian college that I went to, so I went, I went to college in the late nineties and the Christian college that I went to actually had, had published a paper on why they were not going to allow yoga on the school property because they felt that it was a potential gateway. Right. This and is so, how Satan gets in like, this is how Satan touches your butt. Is if everyone starts doing yoga. Exactly. Satan touches your butt with yoga. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. But yeah, that's super interesting. You bring that up being someone, you know, that is obviously an advocate for some psychedelic adventures because I feel like a lot of people are, you know, concerned about looking behind the curtain or what that reveals to you through some of these deep psychedelic trips. Yeah. I think people should be concerned. I mean, here, here's the thing. It's not entirely it, unconcerning. <laughs> yeah, it, right, exactly. Yeah. Like, like there is, um, so I was talking with Rainier about this the other day about, um, I, I went to a, so I, I did an MDMA journey on my own last fall and it was really powerful. And there were some moments of it that were actually very terrifying physically for me because my heart rate spiked to 168 BPM while I was laying in bed in a house by myself. Yeah, it's a lot. And and then and then the following weeks I ended up having a series of panic attacks which I'd never had before. And I was I was seeing a a healer um a, a, a couple weeks later and I was explaining to her this story and she goes, "Yeah, 
enlightenment. She's a real bitch, isn't she? <laughs> and I was like, I was like, oh, we have this idea that like, oh, you know, I'll I'll do MDMA and like and like deal with my childhood and like and then I'll be a, a better, happier, whatever. Or like I'll take mushrooms and feel so connected to the universe, and then from that I'll love myself. And it's yeah. like here's the it's thing: it's all those stupid Western uh, little like tropes that we have of what it means to be a well-adjusted, normal, like good person. And it and yeah, all of that stuff is sort of a lie. So right. So so in some ways, it's like you you go into psychedelics with a hope that. I'll learn self-love or that I'll feel more connected. And hey, like you said, Andrew, sometimes that stuff really does happen. But sometimes you're thrust into a world of shadows um, and you have to go through there in order to get to some of those places of self-love. But it doesn't always level you up by what the world's standards of leveling up right. are. Because in some ways it it shows the game or it um, – it shows the game for what it is and that doesn't necessarily make you a more adjusted person in society mm -hmm. no in fact a lot of times it's the opposite where you're like oh fuck now i have to like toe like weirdly toe the line in a way that i didn't think i had to and that expression gets used incorrectly a lot and by toe i mean the actual i mean the correct use of the expression because i'm smart and uh Humble. Tell me what it means because I don't know if I know. So a lot of times people say toe the line in terms of like pushing up against a boundary, but toe the line actually means um, like it's referring more to like a military like lining up. Like you toe the line, you have to you have to get in line with society standards, and when right. you see society in this glaring way, uh, so clearly for what it is, but then also see sort of like all this other stuff behind, you know, behind the veil, so to speak. Um, and sort of this other way of understanding and realize that like, they're pretty incongruent. And so if you want to exist in society, you have to toe society's line. Otherwise, uh, you know, you're better off just like living in the fucking woods by yourself. Like, you know, that would right. be really, ultimately that's where that path is of self-discovery is going to take you is to be like, well, probably society's not, you know, a thing that I want to participate in anymore. But for me, like, I do want to participate in society and explore those realms, which means I have to sort of, like, box some things up inside me a little bit um, for my own sanity. Yeah, because it can be so jarring coming back from those experiences, especially if you go straight back in to society. You have this extreme psychedelic, mm -hmm. heroic dose of mushrooms you do it out in the forest and then if you come back the next day after experiencing that i always feel like it can be a little like things can feel slippery and not as quite as comfortable no doubt um well i'm sure we will talk all about psychedelics as we uh talk about your story ryan but why don't we uh why don't we well before we dive into that i we have one final question for you and that is how can we pray for you this week <laughs> <laughs> this is our Brothers. this is our bible study so <laughs> we, it wouldn't be a bible study if we didn't ask you how we could pray for you money and titties 
Money and titties <laughs> it is. All right. I think May the good Lord bring that upon you, the good Lord, The good Lord gets down with that. May the good Lord bring that upon all of us. Yes. Yeah. All that I think that's a prayer, for the, a prayer for the world. Oh, yeah. I meant, I, meant, I meant praying that for you guys. Oh, okay. oh you were asking me for a prayer request for me? Yeah. What, how can we pray for you? Humble me needs nothing, wants nothing, is right. nothing. Ah, wow. Amazing. Cool. Uh, but money and titties, yeah. Yeah. Those. Cool. <laughs> also, if it's of any benefit to you, you can hold that thing, that microphone further away from your mouth. It's picking up like really well, so you don't have to worry about being right oh, up on it. Yeah. Okay. And player player two has Whoa. entered the game on your end. Yeah, Look at that so. cute fucking dog. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. How are we not recording this? <laughs> I know. All right. We only have I'm audio of Ryan dog. being okay. mauled. This right. dog is getting just so many all up on Ryan right now. This oh is amazing. He has to oh, let Ryan the, know this, how much he is loved. Yeah, that was so loved. That was the best oh thing I've gosh. seen today. Just to <laughs> that let you know. dog just in your mouth and eyes. Like You know, she has my dog has this fixation on any time that I'm on my laptop on the couch. She she clearly feels that I am really neglecting her when I'm on my laptop on the couch, and she always gets up and does that, or she'll even like put her paws onto the keyboard. You know what it might be? I think it might be that she's worried about about the Wi-Fi and the five G giving you the coronavirus. That could be it because <laughs> dogs dogs can feel that shit. Yeah, they so can. They know what's up. I read a good article about that. Anyways. Um, yeah, let's talk a little bit about your story. Let's uh, basically, you know, you can share as much or as little as you'd like. Basically, I think we just sort of want to hear, you know, how did you, where and how did you grow up, and and you know, how did religion and spirituality kind of play a role in your early years, um, and then yeah, how's that transformed over time, leading you to sort of where you are now with religion and spirituality and all of those things. Yeah. Oh, it's been it's been a it's been quite a time since I've thought about the long arc of this. Um, you know, we found with every guest that we've had that almost nobody has really, and, and I think ourselves included until we told our stories on the first podcast, it's like, yeah, I don't think I ever really had thought about like the entire arc right. of the thing. So it is, it's an interesting exercise, but it seems to be useful for most people. So I hope it's useful. It's for funny you. because there, there was a time when I, when I first sort of left Christianity that I actually thought about writing a book called How I Got Here. And I never did it. I <laughs> never wrote it. But that would have summed up part of what we're going to discuss. Right. Um, because it is interesting, you know, because those who are still in and those who never experienced it, um, there's just, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> this dog it just hey. won't quit. God. Unreal, dude. Um, so... <clears throat> I grew up in a divorced family. Uh, my mother was fairly non-religious, um, not atheistic. Those things weren't even really talked about or no. didn't exist in the 80s in popular culture. She just wasn't religious per se or nominally religious. And then there was my father's side, which was uh, – which, which I would say it was very religious, uh, sort of strict to an extent and – uh, you know, we did church every Sunday together and we had Bible studies at the house. And, um, so I grew up in this, in this kind of weird binary between when I was with my mom, it was like complete freedom. I could do whatever I want. 
Um, and then at my dad's house, which was like very strict, when I grew my hair long, he and my stepmom said, no, you need to cut that because it's actually in the Old Testament that long hair is oh, wow. a problem. Were you um, – were there like pretty – pretty hard restrictions at your at dad's house in terms of like no we don't watch rambo no we don't consume these types of media no you cannot listen to that devil music but then well, at mom's yeah, house you right. could do whatever the fuck you wanted so it sort so, of didn't so matter. no kidding no kidding at my at my dad's house um we couldn't watch the disney channel because uh it was full of magic and magic was of the devil right. so i mean it wasn't just rambo <laughs> actually rambo probably would have been okay because that was just violent, but things like Disney were, um, I mean, it's so strange. It's funny, there's so much magic in the Bible though. Yeah. The Bible talks all about magic. Hey, you know what? You are on a very slippery slope there, Andrew. <laughs> For Talking sure. About magic in the so... Next thing you're going to be saying, there's psychedelics right. in the Holy of Holies. Right. Oh, you so, mean that okay. DMT smoke that Moses caught from that burning bush? <laughs> okay. So, so I grew up in this, in this, these two different worlds. Where was um, this? What part of the this world? Is in, this is in Texas. I, gr- I grew up in Dallas, Texas. Okay. So the thing is, is that. I'm not going to say that I had a traumatic childhood, but I certainly had um, real emotional strain with my mother, mm-hmm. um, lack of self-esteem. And when when we got a new youth pastor in town, he embraced me and I got to be a musician. And church for me in high school was probably the thing that kept me from either committing suicide or doing something really stupid and regrettable. Mm-hmm. I loved youth group. It was my life in yeah. high school. Um, I can and, definitely relate to that. And, you know, even in retrospect, you know, there's all these, like, you know, stories about, you know, priests that have done things to kids. And I'm, of course, I have no reason to doubt that. But that was, I have no experience like that at all. Any sort of closeness that I had with anybody in the church was, as far as I can tell, deeply authentic and and real. Sure. And while I have left that world, I still am deeply, profoundly grateful for those experiences. Um, so, so that was high school. I mean, I was the kid that uh, that, that carried a Bible with me um, to to school. Um, I wasn't necessarily a proselytizer, you know, I wasn't like, yeah, what denomination never, of church were you? Was it? Uh, it was non-denominational, okay. like it, just kind I mean, of evangelical Southern Christianity. I, I would almost, <clears throat> I would almost call it pre-evangelical in the sense that the word evangelical had not come about yet. I grew up, you know, yeah, I guess in a you're time right. it a been... little bit earlier than you guys. And so I went to, I attended non-denominational churches. That was probably um, kind of a new thing as well. I would imagine. It was a new thing. It really, it really was birthed in the late seventies. And really, I, I was just telling somebody else this the other day, that in some ways, that sort of non-denominational, what would eventually become called evangelicalism, really was in a lot of ways the height of intellectualism of Christianity. And what I mean by that is that they really took the Bible very seriously. Now, of course, they were taking their particular approach to it very seriously. But like, you know, my mom, from time to time, we'd go to the Methodist church and the Methodist church would sort of 
do a reading. We'd stand up. We'd sit down. We'd sing some old songs. It was more ritualistic. Right. But the 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 non denominational evangelical church they really did take they took almost like a um, an educational approach to understanding the text. Sure, and I it's always almost love like that. it's these dudes with like MDivs in theology, right? You know, who are le- sort of letting you into that world a little bit as best they can without getting too into the weeds. But this is sort of the church I grew up in as well. Is these yeah very well versed pastors letting you in on some like some you know sort of deeper theological understandings of uh, various aspects of the Bible. Yeah, like you'd learn what some of the Greek words meant or what some of the Hebrew words meant or like maybe they'd even contextualize it. Like even when I talk with my father now, who's still very much in the fold, um, you know, he talks about how his pastor right now is, you know, he's a really expository teacher. Now, when I hear that now, I'm like, well, dad, I mean, I don't say this to him, but I'm thinking, but dad, that's that's a particular approach like and it's a it's an approach that I don't have a taste for anymore but um at the time it's kind of like it's kind of like going back like I don't know if you remember your first cell phone I, I mean mm-hmm. you guys may be young enough that it wasn't an iPhone but like I I remember my not. first cell phone and it was not an iPhone it yeah. was like old tech that I'd be embarrassed to have now but it was the best thing going on at the time mm-hmm. and I guess what I'm trying to say is for me at the time that sort of spiritual technology that I got from a non-denominational church in the early nineties in, in when I was in high school, it was pretty high tech. It was, it was definitely higher tech than, you know, some of the more like, uh, kind of doldrum, uh, Christian religion that was out there. And I'm not, I'm not here to speak ill about, sure. you know, the, the main but line. It was captivating for a curious and kind of like hip, teenager right like it was there was a hipness to it that made you feel like not a not a fucking methodist square but someone who was was tapped into something interesting totally there's that but then also the other thing was that i felt that it 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 was it was like um uh what's the right word not critical um it took it, it it felt like it was taking Jesus seriously. Mm-hmm. And as a serious kid, which I was, I was a very serious kid. It fe- I liked that. I liked that it took things seriously. Now, there was all the stuff that came with it. So I went to all these youth rallies um, where they would talk about revelation. And while I was really like into the whole like exploration about John's revelation, there was always a little bit of it that, um, so there were things that never set well with me. Like even back in those days, one of them was was proselytizing because even in that era, I had a sense of, you know, there's this passage that uh, no man finds God, that God finds each man. And I had this sense of like, well, we don't have to do all this marketing. Like, like the power of good versus evil Will just be stove. So I was sort of always ready in case people asked questions, but I never got into the proselytizing part where you'd go out and try to like witness to strangers or or whatever. And then the second part was that whole end times thing. While while intellectually it was captivating, there was always a bit of like, yeah, but like 
I mean, do we really know? Like, can we actually like map out the mark of the beast? And, you know, I don't know if you remember, but like there was a time when it was like, well, the barcode actually begins with a six, the middle mm-hmm. digit in the barcode is six. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the last, and I'm, it's, it's like all the, and like Brussels has this computer called the beast. And so like actually the 10 nations from, I, sure. I was always a little bit like, yeah, but so, so that was high school. Um, it was very natural for me to go to a Christian university. Um, I, I ended up going to Biola University in Southern California. Which is such um, a trip because I I was uh, – I think I had a similar experience in high school. I was very much uh, deeply in the church, deeply in the, in the music and the worship scene at a large mega, mega church that was non-denominational that I helped lead worship for the youth group of, you know – about 200 high schoolers and like 150 middle schoolers. So it was sort of like, you know, I felt hip and cool that I got to do these like concerts every week, essentially for like a huge audience and would get to play on the main church stage for like 1500 people at a time. Um, and then, and then I almost, I was between Biola university and USC where I ended up going. I wanted to study music and I, I got in to Biola to their music program to, for their like worship music program. And I got a scholarship and like the whole thing. And I really wanted to go, um, because I barely got into USC and I, uh, originally did not get into their music school. And so I was sort of like, well, this university like barely wants me. This other university is going to like, let me go for free. And my dad, who, even though he's religious was like, yeah, you're not going to Christian. <laughs> That's, I don't care if I don't care if we're not paying for it. I will pay for you. Got into USC. I'll pay for you to go to USC. Like you're not doing that. That's great. Yeah. You know, it's so funny, Andrew, those were my two schools too, because I went to school for film and those oh, were wow. my two schools was USC and Biola. What a trip. And the only two schools I applied I, um, to. Were those schools? Yeah, those are the two schools I applied to as well. Actually, I don't know if I ended up applying to USC. I think I had I had made the decision in my heart that Biola was it, um, and I had I had several of my Christian friends, actually several of my high school Christian friends who were really into proselytizing, um, all went to state schools. They they all went to places that were not religious schools, and I, the non proselytizer, was the one who. Bible college. So, you know, there's a whole like way that you could read that. That's, that's interesting. Perhaps I wanted to stay in the cozy community of Christianity. And to your point about playing on those stages of 200, 1500 people, I, and my wife as well, will both tell you that you are a kid you have you feel like you have so little agency in the world. It's a world of adults. And when you get put on a stage, when these people say you are somebody, you have these gifts, I mean, wow, how powerful that is. And really in so many ways without with the exception of like, you know, social media and all that stuff, those were the only places that I can think about that were actually really giving children in my in, in, in my time and perhaps in your time as well an actual stage. And there are certain things about that that are kind of problematic to me, the overvaluing of the of the youth voice. But also it was incredible. 
to feel that you belonged somewhere. No doubt. And that you were no. contributing to this sort of like... It, it, exactly uh, other people's inner worlds because you would get up there you'd play this music and you'd see hands in the air and tears hitting the ground yes. and you'd be like holy yes. shit i'm helping create that for somebody yes exactly it's not just that because we live in a culture now where what we bond around mostly is around consumption did you see that show oh you and i both love that show we can talk about it but in that time there was actually like there was a bonding around collaboration or creation that we were creating that stuff so even though again i've left that world i i do have and this continues on in my story but i do have profound appreciation now that i'm on the other side now that i've done the work of like hating on it and realizing that my hating on it was kind of perhaps misplaced that that I've come back to now say, yeah, it's not my world, but also I really deeply appreciate that that was an opportunity given to me mm -hmm. and nobody else was fucking giving it to me at that time. Right. Totally. So so I left high school. A lot of my, you know, uh, proselytizing friends went on to state colleges. I went to Biola. I took it very seriously. I got into the worship scene there. Um, I was taking my Bible classes, taking my um, film classes, um, had great friends, had had a really, I mean, honestly, a great experience at Biola. Now, of course, there's all these like weird things that happen, like this one guy who ends up being um, uh, potentially gay and he gets, you know, ousted from the school. But I didn't have a formed enough opinion on it at that time. It was, again, this is like the mid 90s. So like churches hadn't even really started talking about the gay issue yet. What, what was um, it like? Right, right, for sure. And and even just in America, like that community was sort of a little more underground, you know, like religion aside. What was, what was your experience like in terms of like, you know, wanting to... Uh, wanting to do things with ladies because obviously the dorms are separate there's like a curfew situation probably you're probably not allowed in a girl's dorm room ever except for maybe between the hours of like you know 8 a.m and 9 a.m or something like the lord's hour i don't know what this what the rules are but i imagine that one there were strict rules around that and two lots of people were breaking them so that they could well, it's, it's funny you, know, you say 8 a.m to 9 a.m because those are really the best sex hours i mean amen <laughs> Amen. Like it's it, it, especially like from a married man's perspective, like you don't have sex at night. I mean, you, you can, but usually you want to unwind at night, like watch TV. Like the best sex is really in the morning when you've let yourself sleep in just a little bit. Oh, yeah, to start and your you day. On like a, a, oh, yeah, down. start your day with it. And then like you get cleaned up and you just like you go out and you're charged. So it's funny that you mentioned the Lord's Hour that way. <laughs> I mean, of of, of of course, of course, there was all that stuff of like we had to keep doors at like, I don't know, it was like 45 degree angles or I mean, there was all that weird stuff. Um, taboos are so funny because you create a taboo and you create a resistance to a taboo. So like, you know, I remember. Yeah, they go hand yeah, immediately. In hand. <laughs> like I remember like locking my door and masturbating on the floor and my roommate was like knocking on the door and i'm like try to be quiet but i've still got to come and <laughs> and like and, or like or like being in my girlfriend's dorm and the door was locked and i'm like escaping through the back window it's like all of that could be avoided so like i have two children i, I have two sons so, so you have had 13. sex 
I have not had sex yet, <laughs> but I look forward to it in the Lord's hour <laughs> tomorrow. I will gladly pay you tomorrow for so. Um, with you know, with my kids, in so many ways, I'm just trying not to stigmatize anything that I feel ought not be stigmatized. So that gets into sex, that gets into drugs, that gets into even politics. Like my kids grow up in a very, you know, they're, they're, they're kids growing up in, in Portland. So of course it's a very anti-Trump world. I actually try to be the voice of reason. Who's like, just cause everybody's like, you know, saying all this stuff, like you can still, you can still think critically and not just be a sheep about it because in a place like Portland, the taboo would be to ever say that. I agree with that. Yeah. That Trump was that right yeah. or that Trump isn't as bad or that Trump isn't the cause of the coronavirus or what, you know, whatever the thing is. Yeah. Or that not... he's like done no good things at all. Exactly. Like that he's, he's done never no done good things yeah. or whatever. Yeah. I just had it's this like... conversation with someone the other day where I was like, you really think any other sitting president would have reacted like would have shut the country down in January? Fuck no. Like they right. all it... would have done the same shit that this administration is doing and everyone still would have been pissed about it. Right, exactly. And so, of course, we can't – there's no way to backtest that. But this this idea that, like, Hillary would have had such a different response – like, look, I don't know. And we don't know. That's, right. That is the truth of the matter. But the idea that your guy or your gal would have handled history differently, I, I, I think it's, it's a failed conversation because you're, you're dealing in the realm of, of – of like you just don't know like, yeah like things said, that like, are not going to happen where that that isn't going to happen that's There's never not going to happen another right, president exactly. that deals with coronavirus this way like it might exactly, be a new pandemic exactly. and but yeah although hang on to be to be clear there is that psychic who wrote the book <laughs> that said that the coronavirus would appear in 2020 yeah. from wuhan and then it would go away rapidly, Wait, is this almost a re- disappear. Is this a real fucking thing? And then it, this is a real fucking thing. And then ten years later, it would come back and decimate a huge percentage of the population. So what I'm saying is, somebody's going to to handle that again. <laughs> but your point being, you're you're trying to present this to your kids as that, like, to not be sheep to everything, and not just because we live in a very liberal city that you right. you know can't explore maybe. Things well, that are a I think it's contrary. I think it's that there there is a thought on there is a thought on the side of the intellectual left that we don't have taboos. That's what religion. We are not dogmatic. That's that's religious people. I had a conversation with one of my best friends about this the other day about how people who are like, "Oh, religion's so bad. It's done all these things." I'm like, "No, no, no, no. I, I get your point." But it's it's dogmatism. Yeah, it's rigid beliefs, rigid and belief structures. It, it's rigid like. beliefs, and rigid belief structures occur in science, and yep. so many areas of science. In religion, of course, which is what we usually pin it on. In politics, there's so many different places where um, where dogmatism, that rigid thinking, comes out. And I'm like, look, I I understand why people would want to pin it on religion right. because religion has been sort of, you know, it was the last gatekeeper of dogmatic truth. Well, truthfully, the current dogmatic keeper of truth is science. And you are actually seeing um, 
people who are trying to put new concepts out there and the 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 dogmatic scientific world is is yeah, not they having no. it. they will i mean and it's i think they it's say no. such a testament to actually how human it is to want to have rigid beliefs kind of even this mm-hmm. ties into our conspiracy theory conversation because rigid beliefs is anathema to science and how and the scientific method i mean literally science is about how like this is all something that is approaching something that approaches something that approaches truth. And we're just going to continue to iterate forever and ever. That is the scientific method. So there is no real room for like rigid anything. And yet here, here we are in 2020. It's like, you know, dogmatism has totally like taken a hold of the scientific community. Uh, and it's sort of its own religion now in a, in a weird way. Right. And so, So, so what do you do with that? Like, I think that in some ways you could take a sympathetic glance and you could say, well, let's go back to, let's go back to early humanity. Let's go back to tribes. Well, in tribes, you, you were in a survivalistic game as we are now in our own weird sort of version of it. But in tribes, um, you were in a survivalistic game and you had other tribes next to you. And so you needed to suss out relatively quickly, um, are we going to appreciate the border between us? Are we going to say that each other is safe and we could actually intermarry or do trade mm-hmm. together? Or is this a war? So those, I mean, that, that, that really is kind of in a lot of ways when you think about it, that's the amygdala's breakdown, fight, flight, or freeze, Right, like that, because because that 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 that's where things go in those survival moments. That the amygdala regulates that that portion. So that 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 saying that it's not that dogmatism maybe has been with us forever, but that that search for certainty and like I said earlier, I think certainty is actually animated from the concept of safety. Is this safe? Is deeply human. So when you have when you have just as i observe the the left pushing toward these you know broad ideals about how the world could look and they look down on the the conservatives and say like oh you know you're 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 so you're so dogmatic well but there is this dogmatism this certainty this safety mechanism that is deeply universal and i don't know that any of us have actually escaped that yeah, I doubt it. I think anyone claiming that they had, like, that's its own form of dogmatism. So, <laughs> <laughs> for sure, not to be not to be uh, cute about it, but <laughs> it's just like, yeah, that just keeps going. Um, I'm curious about when you were growing up, because you said your dad was pretty militant with like the church stuff and the religious stuff. Did you always fall in line with that? because you, you said you found so much joy in the church community and what that like did for you in high school and everything. Did you always fall in line with that? Or did, did you feel like you were kind of had this balanced thing? Cause you could go fuck off, do whatever you want when you were kind of with your mom. You know, it's interesting because I was the, mo- in, in youth, I was the most, well, not in youth in, in high school, I was the most serious about Christianity of, uh, of, of anybody in my family. 
My dad and stepmom, uh, specifically my dad, let's just talk about him. My dad grew up in the hyper-modernist era, the kind of like militaristic, um, uh, top-down authority, don't question. That was that was more the world that my dad grew up in. And so Christianity um, uh, fit into that. But to me, I, w- I really was like the most serious Christian in my household. And I was the only kid who actually ended up going to a Christian university. So it almost is like a, it's, it's interesting to follow the arc of the story because um, I was the most interesting setup for a reversal in that I took it so seriously. So I didn't do it because my father said it was good. I did it because I drank the Kool-Aid and I was ready to sell the Kool-Aid. It tasted good. Because I, it tasted so good. So went to Christian college, kept drinking, kept drinking. And I hate to say drinking the Kool-Aid because, because again, it was a genuine, authentic experience for me. Right. Yeah. And, and it there was, was for those around me as well. Also, for some sure. legitimate encounters with, you know, God, the divine, the mystical, whatever you want to call it. You know, that's what kept me in it for so long is like, well, no, I've had these like legitimate religious experiences where I felt a deep connection to people and to the connectivity of all things uh, or or God or whatever you want to call it. And so like, yeah, like you're saying, it's like, yeah, there was some Kool-Aid drinking there, but there also was some really authentic, like this feels incredibly real uh, and important. Yeah. Were you also just... I think that's a great... Were you also like no, pretty, pretty strict about like what you were taking in, like content-wise or media-wise, on yourself about you what you would allow yourself to see since you were drinking the Kool-Aid pretty heavy? I'm, I mean, I know you you said you went to film school. Well, I mean, so. the Kool-Aid wasn't strong enough for you to stop playing with your own dinghy, so <laughs> yeah, you know, it has its limits for sure. Yeah, but you always felt like God hated you for that. I mean, I certainly – so I I will tell you, like I carried with me a lot of shame around things that I I wish I didn't – that I hadn't had shame about. Um, But as as far as content goes, um, you know, I I read people who were – I read many people who I felt were – who I did feel were prophetic at the time. I read Dallas Willard. I read. Took a class um, with Dallas Willard uh, at USC. Rest in peace. He's a good dude. Fuck you. (laughs) Fuck you. He never came to speak of. So Dallas Willard. There was um uh um uh uh, the Ragamuffin Gospel. What's that guy's name? Uh, That's okay. So Rich Mullins um was a huge like was probably the key inspiration for me in in college but like even reading thomas merton and reading um uh uh i can't think of brennan who, manning. Yeah, like henry nowen what's that it was that would be brennan manning on the ragamuffin brennan Gospel. manning so brennan manning actually spoke at biola once and i was like i'm on what this guy's on like i i want in on what this guy's on and so even within a conservative context like Biola, which was definitely, you know, everybody voted Republican, you know, it's, it, it sort of was a, there was a, there was definitely a status quo environment, 
but for me, I still was like, I was living in that environment, but I was still always reaching out to these different areas within Christendom that, that, that sparked my interest. And they didn't necessarily always hold everybody's interest the same way they held mine. And I wouldn't be able to say this word until 15, 20 years after I'd graduated college, but that word prophetic, that there was always something that was calling to me within so many of the great stories within scripture and these people that I was following, like Brennan Manning and Rich Mullins. And it was a prophetic nature. Now, when I was growing up, prophecy was not all that different from what I mentioned earlier about the psychic who said that, you know, the coronavirus would come and then it'd come back again and kill us. That's how I always understood prophecy. But in later life, in my late 20s, early 30s, I really began to understand that the prophets were kind of the truth seers, not the truth seers in the micro sense, but the truth seers in the macro sense. So all the Old Testament prophets, you know, the 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 trope throughout all of them was return, remember. It's kind of like, hey, you got caught up in the distraction. Hey, you got caught up in this new society's you know, approach to what reality could be like, remember the truth, remember the covenant. And that prophetic imagination was, even though I couldn't put the words to it at the time, it was very attractive to me. And um, somebody like Rich Mullins, who again was a huge hero of mine, in part because I was a musician and he was a musician, but in part also just because he was also fed up with American materialism. He was fed up with American Christianity, pop Christianity. He really had, you know, he he had all these moments where he could have signed this big record deal and kind of went against the grain. And, um, and you know, he ended up, you know, devoting his, his life to working with Native Americans before he died. Um, I, 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 so I actually watched, there's a documentary, or not a documentary, but a, a dramatic portrayal of his life i forget what it's called um but it, it came out maybe five years ago and and i i watched it um just a couple years ago and this is like i'm not in that world at all anymore and i wept in that film because that character that person who wasn't necessarily standing up for what's right, but just calling people to remember there was something still so attractive and alluring and um, in line with who I am today that it really just brought so much emotion out. Have either of you guys ever seen that film or do you even know who he is? I'm not familiar. Yeah, I also do not know Richard Mullins. But I don't he, think these people kind of sound like uh, some of the folks that uh, I think Andrew and I really dig at this time, like a Richard Rohr type. These people that kind of are speaking against the the mass Christianity, kind of being spit to everybody and whatnot. And like a dude like Rob Bell, I feel like is is kind of. Do we need a little pause? Just give yeah. me one second. No, no worries. No Oh, all right. <laughs> Sorry, that was my 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 Cuban neighbor who came over to say in his very broken English, 
do you mind if I pull up the flowers and lay down concrete? And it's his property, so I I'm I can't say no. Um, but I was like, pay paradise, you put up a park. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yeah. Uh, They've got like eight cars at their place. I live in East Portland, man. That's yeah. great. But he's super sweet. He actually gave me two Cuban cigars. I don't smoke cigars because I think they taste like ass and not the kind of ass that I like to put in my mouth. And I was so appreciative that he gave those to me because very sweet gift. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So anyways, you're, and you're interested in sort of these, uh, these sort of interesting cats. And it does sound like a Richard Mullins would be sort of like a, a pre Rob Bell type guy. Is that accurate? I would say, I would say that, so you mentioned, you mentioned Richard Rohr. Mm -hmm. Richard Rohr would probably be in a lot of ways, the modern incarnation in his own different way modern incarnation of rich mullins okay um yeah he caught like a lot of shit for the things that he put out there from the catholic community it's amazing that he's people, still a priest yeah a lot <laughs> of people the shit that he said. did not appreciate what he was saying and well let's talk thomas merton for a little bit like i mean thomas merton wrote some of the most insightful literature on not just Christianity, but man's nature of wanting to be religious and how, you know, when he died or was killed, depending on how you think about it, he was in the East trying to find connections between Zen Buddhism, Taoism, and Catholic Christianity. And he has an incredible book called, uh, I think it's called like mystics and Zen masters. That mm -hmm. was profound for me in the, in the late nineties or early two thousands. Dude, as soon as you start thinking about Christianity in a more mystical esoteric sense, Buddhism is just like, they are holding hands. And the only difference is that Buddhism doesn't, does not have such an emphasis on God. Um, right. But they are, I mean, the parallel sayings between Jesus and Buddha, as soon as you sort of, contextualize what Jesus is saying and also filter it through a more mystical lens. They're just like, there's so much shit. That's just like identical. Well, and this is, you know, I've, I've had this thing that I've said for probably 10, 15 years now that like, we don't need a God so small as we imagine. We don't need a God who vouches for our sports team, who vouches <laughs> yeah. for our belief system. If, if we have a God God is beyond all and somehow includes all. And of course, you know, people who are in the world of religion will say, well, that's a very slippery slope because there's e there's this thing called evil. And are you saying God in, 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 uh, assumes that burden as well? And I, I, I can't necessarily comment on that thing, but, but I would say, but yes. I, and, and that's, and that's fine. I, one of my favorite authors from, uh, from like uh, in the 2000s would say that he believed that evil was essentially a virus and that like it was something that went through the OS, but it was still generated by the OS. Or it, and it, that doesn't even matter. The point being that if there is a God, the God mind is much bigger than our small mind of teams and dogmas mm -hmm. and 
and and sure. hard fast beliefs and and I hold to that. I mean, that's, and probably that's my place. at least from my experiences with psychedelics and feeling, um, having some really yeah. intense mystical experiences, um, it seems to me like God is like you're saying so far beyond our understanding and so yeah, so beyond what we could imagine, and somehow at the same time, uh, so profoundly simple. And just like straightforward, yeah. you know. Right, right. I, I think I think that's a, a a great way of saying it. But certainly not how we've made him up to be our um, mascot for whatever it is that we believe <laughs> yeah. is, or even is to, so to gender him at all, or as Christianity well, sure. does to, right. to anthropomorphize I mean, or any of that shit. I mean, it just it's such a slippery slope as soon as you try to put a name to it, which is why I think the Buddha was like, yeah, let's not focus on that because what we want to focus on is just personal transformation and, and you're tapping into the divine or whatever. But like, let's not, let's not do God talk. Yeah. It focuses more well, on let's... like the personal journey instead mm-hmm. of everybody thinking that they're supposed to experience the same thing within that God or whatever. Right. But so, so let's go down that path even a little bit further. So Herman Hesse's, book Siddhartha is a book that was introduced to me about 20 years ago, but I didn't really, I I read it for a class, but it wasn't until about five or six years ago that I really delved into that book. And now I read it two to three times a year because it, it charts sort of the, the, the spiritual path of a man and to even say spiritual, I, let's let's take that word out. It charts the path of a man, and it does it in his case as being born Hindu, and going out to look for meaning. And he first bonds with the um, these mystics in the forest, and then ends up actually meeting the Buddha. And there's this there's this incredible moment where. Siddhartha is in this conversation with the Buddha and he says, I find no problem with your teachings. In fact, they are probably the best teachings that have ever been taught. However, your teachings are about how you learned to find the truth. So if I was to follow your teachings, they wouldn't work for me. Because they would just teach me the way about how you learned to unlock the secrets of the universe or you learned to find God. And there is something about that that is so halting for me about how we do this in life. We do this in spirituality. We do this in economics. We do this in so many ways where we really focus on the if I could just learn the how to, then I could get there. But because and, and because we mistrust ourselves on a certain level, think that we could actually find our own path. So to me, Christ was a shining light. He was a city on the hill. But if I was to stop at, well, the end of man's evolution is to mimic Jesus, that would feel like a failure to me. Yeah, this one dude's path to enlightenment 2,000 years ago 
in a world totally different, you know. Yeah, I, I, I totally get that. For sure. You got to go spend your 40 years out in the desert. You got to go figure out your own shit. Figure out what your own desert is. I don't know. That's right. And that's not to say that following a spiritual teacher is is not useful. Like again, I'm super I'm I'm still remarkably grateful for Jesus as my guru. Because you think about it. So like the karate kid shows up and he just wants to do karate. He just wants to be able to fucking snap that fly with the chopsticks. And so he 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 mentors himself underneath this teacher to learn how to do this stuff. Well, what does the teacher do? He tells him to do all this dipshit stuff like paint the fences and Daniel's son's getting super frustrated. And then he's like, wax the floors. Like, why the fuck are you like having me do all this stuff? And then Daniel finally has his moment. All these moves are in his muscle memory where when it comes time, when he's got a limp leg that he fucking kicks that dude, that asshole and he sinks him to the ground. Now that's not Mr. Miyagi doing that. That's Daniel doing that. But I'll tell you what, Daniel couldn't have done it without Mr. Miyagi. And so if if I'm Daniel and Jesus is my Mr. Miyagi, I could bitch about how he asked me to, you know, paint the paint his fence and wax his cars and do this, that, and the other. But you know what? I wouldn't be where I am today yeah, without that formation. The value right. in that then is that you don't have to think to do right in a lot of instances. I mean, some instances, obviously, yes. But other instances, at least that's my big takeaway from my religious upbringing. It's like, like you're saying, some of this stuff, there's, there's an emotional muscle memory where it's just like, uh, I don't have to think about whether or not I should help that person or whatever it is. Like, I just do it because I just have been doing it my whole life because Jesus said to do it. And like, so even though it's not about Jesus for me anymore at all, it's just like, yeah, this, I don't have to like intellectualize uh, some simple things in terms of just like how to love people. Yeah. It just feels (laughs) right. It happens. Can't help it. Yeah. I think, I think that's a good way to say it. I, I use this metaphor from time to time about how, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to wake up every morning and be like, perhaps I should clothe myself. How would one clothe themselves to, to, to be free of the natural elements? No, no. Somebody made a t-shirt and somebody came up with sweatpants. Now, do I agree with t-shirt or sweatpants? It doesn't matter. I clothe myself with it because it allows me to then get on with my day. And so I could go in and like critique like, well, maybe we shouldn't wear t-shirts. Maybe we should actually wear wife beaters or V-necks or yeah. it's like robes would be much better. Or, yeah, or that would be robes. great. But sometimes like in this world of deconstruction that I've certainly gone through and certainly you guys have gone through as well. I think I've come back to a place where I'm like, I don't need to be so entirely critical. Like you got some good from it. A t-shirt is a great thing to have. And you know what? The, the, the Christian idea that every person is a child of God and therefore deserves some respect. I don't need to question that. I don't need to go in and like dig through all the theology. And like, I'm like, you know, I'm actually okay with, with that just being 
that just being a good idea. Yeah, it's just a tenant. We'll just we'll just put that one in as a pillar. Why not? We'll just we'll just throw it down as something that like that that's like okay, because you could question everything about the world. Yeah. And this is this is why people go down the conspiracy theory rabbit hole. It's like because truth is always up for um it, it, it is is up for critique. And yes. I think that's one part of me thinks that's wonderful, but part of me thinks that we do get a little bit um in our search for truth, we we give up some things that like are really just that they work. They're pragmatic. They're tactical. That's part of what I love about the Tao Te Ching. The Tao Te Ching was written as a manual on how to enact war appropriately. Now, people don't want to think about it that way. They want to think about it as a spiritual manual. Well, it is a spiritual manual. But like spirituality is no different than how we conduct ourselves in any other thing. Because mm-hmm. it's all the same thing. It's just called fucking human experience that's right. all there is and that's it, literally all there is at some point you sort of do just gotta like yeah you can't sit in relativism forever and critiquing forever mm. the example that i usually give is like you know there's a lot of good scientific evidence for uh and philosophical arguments for the non-existence of free will now if sure. i choose to believe that how does that serve my life at all to just to remove my agency completely it doesn't so even if the evidence was so strong that it was irrefutable and we knew for certain there is no free will i'd be like cool i'm still telling myself that there is because i want to i want to feel like i have agency i don't care that it's not true true there's a there's a different true that i just need it to be for me because it serves a, a purpose in my life Okay, so that's that's an interesting point that truth on its own. So this is kind of what I was saying earlier. Like data on its own is just data. Right. It's not until you put it into buckets that data. So so like your friend who said that coronavirus is constructed. So he's looking at data and he's choosing a particular bucket, a particular narrative to hold that data. Now I guarantee you that your friend will find many things that will suggest that it was created in a lab and actually is bioterrorism. I'm not even saying your friend is right or wrong. That's not what I'm interested about. But what I'm saying is that data is out there. So if you kind of think about truth, at least as far – I'm not talking about like truth like in the Bible. I'm saying like just like truth that animates something like the Bible or animates something like the Tao Te Ching. It's out there to be found – but what we do is that we we take parts of it and we put it into buckets and we call those narratives. And 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 we could say that we call those narratives. Many people just call those reality because for them it is just how things are. It's sort of like a um, it, it's it would be ridiculous to to ask a question against it. So that's fine, good because we have to be able to clothe ourselves with something every day. And so we have to be able to say that like there's some sort of truth that like governs my life. I think that's a it's a fundamental human thing, but there's still something underneath. And I I would dare say I believe it's in all of us that wants to know the truth behind the truth. Like wants that gnosis, that direct encounter with God. So that is what, you know, we talked about psychedelics earlier. 
that's one of the things that psychedelics allows for is that it really does. I'm not saying it gives you this all the time, but it allow because it's just a technology. It's, it's just a tool, but it allows for a seeing of things beyond your conditioning and your conditioning is, is what forms your formulates your buckets that you put your data into to create your narratives and so I, I don't I don't think about psychedelics as being some sort of panacea or silver bullet. I don't think it necessarily is a cure, but I do think that it operates as a, a, a way of giving you access to something that you can't see in the consensus world that we all live in to some extent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a kind of the basis of richard Rohr's immortal diamond book is that we all have this immortal diamond in us but it growing up you're conditioned with all these things so it becomes this whole stripping your, your like your life becomes stripping yourself of those things yeah just unlearning, unlearning all yeah. of those things mm-hmm. and just uh yeah revealing what is true to you within and yeah it's that's that's yeah. why it's yeah so um um well, go ahead. Well, go let ahead. me just say a little bit about this. So I think unlearning is critical. I think unlearning might be – when we think about the path forward, uh, I think that unlearning might be more powerful than learning. That said, you guys are wearing a T-shirt and a sweatshirt and selvage denim jeans and some – other form of pant and you didn't come up with that and to unlearn that would probably make you a fucking crazy person right who's wearing a robe in the street so that's why i kind of go back to this tactical pragmatic level that i think that in some ways a lot of the spiritual teachers had that as an undercurrent that like look yes yes unlearn but also still pan to Caesar what is Caesar's like right. you don't I mean, have Alan to go Watts so far says, as like Alan Watts says ahead. the mystic swims in the same waters that the you know schizophrenic drowns in exactly so it is so what we talked about at the very beginning of this like should people be cautious about doing psychedelics I believe yes as a person who leads people through psychedelic journeys yes you should be cautious because is, if yeah. you want to live a life that still like has nice cars and it can have a good conversation at a bullshit dinner. Like you might not want that. It's not going to serve you in every way that you think because the ego is so powerful. The ego will, will adopt spirituality, will adopt psychedelics. Even the idea of ego destruction is a deeply ego formed concept. <laughs> oh yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's why when people are like, oh, I wanna do, I wanna do seven grams of psilocybin and, and fucking just blast my ego. You know what I think? You you've got a very strong ego and it's so gotten a hold of you that you want to blast through it. Right. Because the 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 real you, the conscious you, the observer they don't want to blast the ego. They would want to observe the ego, right. perhaps even hold or, the ego yes, so the ego guide it a little bit better. So, but you can't exactly. just not have the ego because exactly. then guess what? This is what I was talking about earlier about still you still gotta toe the line. Like right. 
you can't just go full on into otherwise I would literally just sit and stare at the ocean and not eat or drink anything until I died a week later. Like that's me without an ego. Cause I don't care about being alive. I don't care about, you know, I'm just right. like, cool. I'll just sit in loving awareness until it turns into what I, you know, like, yeah, you're just not even conscious anymore almost. And again, painting the fence might look like doing mushrooms. And yes, you could say that if you paint the fence all the time, you're going to eventually get to a point where you're not going to want to live in consensus reality. And that is an option. I mean, that is an option. There's there's this incredible book on DMT called Alien Information Theory. And if if you've never read it, it's certainly worth reading because it's one of the wildest books I've ever read about psychedelics, consensus reality, and um, and machine ma- machine learning, machine thinking, and you know. But part of what the author gets to at the end of the book is that, and this is a guy who deeply believes that DMT is like the thing that's going to set us free. And part of what the author gets to at the end of the book is that really the only way to be in true reality would be to be connected to a DMT drip. And basically you would, you would be in a, in a comatic state but you would be alive Blissed in the nine-dimensional DMT reality. Yeah. And so so I read that and I'm like, okay, listen, I really want truth too. But I also want to be with people who love me. Yeah. And feel love. I also love so my like, kids. I also like love my kids. Yeah, I like my dog and, you know, licking my face. Be able to talk with people because I keep that as a tenant of what I believe to be human. So I'm not discrediting the author. I'm not saying he's wrong. Just like a person who like goes full tilt into deep state theory. Like you're going to lose a lot of people because if you really buy into it so deeply, like you just can't not. So, okay, let me, let me give an example. So I have two kids. I got a vasectomy about, I don't know, nine years ago. And it was at this uh, clinic in uh, like 30 minutes outside of Portland. And I get there. So this clinic does vasectomies. They also do abortions. And so there's all these you know Catholic protesters out front with signs and everything. And I, I actually felt like I wanted to say to them, I'm not getting an abortion. I'm just getting a vasectomy. Um, you know, because I was like, I was like, don't hate me. Um, but I went inside and the way my, my mind works is I'm, I'm talking with the doctor. I'm talking with the nurse. And I'm like, do you guys ever try to engage with them in conversation? Because my mind wants to think that there's a world that could work for all of us. And, you know, where, where somehow their beliefs or their needs are met and our need, you know, my, my doctor's yeah. needs are Everyone met. Everyone can just look and at so each like, other and be like, well, that's just like your opinion, man. And then move on. Yeah. Yeah. Could you, could you, could, exactly. But, um, but they said they said no, because if you believe that abortion is killing a baby, right? Like none of us, no, I can't think of any human that I talk to that if you said should killing babies be right? Like if you just said it that way, like we'd all say no, right? Like no, you shouldn't kill babies. So 
if you if if that person is coming, if that Catholic protester is is coming with the sense of you are killing babies, then there they're really is the, no conversation. Yeah, because they are in their heart, they're like, this is a uh, this is a life's mission worth having, railing against the right. murder of babies, which is like what you're saying. That is literally what they believe. So yeah, there is no. I I totally agree. There's no engaging with that from the and opposite so, end. Exactly, because if you believe that. There is no way you could say like, well, yeah, but accept. Like, no, if you believe that it's killing babies. And what I'm trying to say is like, I actually get, I, I can see from their perspective. Now, I'm not saying I'm, I'm pro them. I'm just saying I could understand that from their perspective, if you think that it's killing babies, then there's no fucking way you'd back down from that. Right. Yeah. So it's. Again, it's it's how you collect the data. So, you know, a lot of the conversation around abortion is like, well, when is it a baby? You know, like, what's the age? When is it sentient? When does the DMT drop? Like, there's so many different ways that, that one could think about it. But what I'm saying is simply that if you believe that it is a baby, we would all agree that killing babies is a bad thing. Right, except for so like the one mind, dude who's named Carl, like who lives in Connecticut by himself. And we're just like, yeah, well, we don't need you, Carl. Because if that's what you believe, then like, yeah, just fuck off. Um, <laughs> yeah, but okay, right. I'm going to go pee real fast because I've, I've drank almost a bottle of rosé. So I'm going to go pee real fast. Okay. Okay. We'll put you a guys, pin in it. Uh, when you come back, okay. we're going to, we'll go back to your story. Okay. Since great. we're on this wide tangent. All right. Well, I hope that that Man. was, I hope that that was a top 10 one for you. Um, you know, I love that a was... good top 10 pee. That was its own form of spiritual experience. Yeah. Um, just to wrap that up, though, I'm totally with that. Like, I, I don't desire to do psychedelics or anything to a level where it's just like completely put my brain on this level where I don't want to interact with other humans and experience the, the love that exists on this plane, you know, because there is a lot to see in those other realms. But there's a lot of cool shit that exists here when I'm not blasted on psychedelics and, yeah. and enjoying and the company of people I like love. to engage with people. And I went through a period in college where I was so fucking deep on the psychedelics that, yeah, I, I just got super depressed cause I couldn't connect with people anymore. Cause I just looked at everyone and was like, you've never seen it. You've never seen the light <laughs> and it's so much and so intense. And I'm just like carrying this burden. I don't know. It was, it was also a very much an ego trip in its own way. But, um, can we bridge this gap, though, of how you get yeah. to how all you, of the psychedelic how you, adventures? How do you go from where where we were in the story at Biola University to where you are now? Well, so there's sort of an exponential pressure cooker in the middle of that. So I became uh, – I, I was a worship leader for these um, national youth conferences – for uh for a year we toured the nation we were playing at like you know 10,000 person um yeah, like college 10, gymnasiums and stuff what's that like a college basketball gymnasium no no these are these are like convention centers oh wow okay yeah 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 so i, I spent a year doing that and it was and that was sort of like the height of it we'd done camps we'd done church services but like we we ended up doing a year of this national youth circuit where we were playing these huge um events and there was a guy who was the speaker who was the you know teacher 
And then there was me and my band, who was the worship leaders. And I kept getting this pushback from him of like, hey, Ryan, I, I really wish you'd say less from the stage. Hey, Ryan, I, I really feel like you're confusing people. But here's what's crazy is that like me and the speaker would have all these conversations backstage where we'd kind of like begin to dig underneath things. Mm-hmm. But it, but he had this belief that the people couldn't handle it. The people were sheep and they needed need a watered like, down version. They needed a watered down version. How old were you when, when this was going on? Uh, probably mid 20s. Okay. And so at some point, uh, he basically just fired us. He fired me. Um, and because you and, kept like bringing this stuff up. What kind of yeah, stuff would because, you say on the mic that he would be like, "Yo, don't tell him, don't tell him that." You know, I think, I think it's that I was, I was trying to normalize doubt. Okay, right. I, I really was trying to normalize doubt as a healthy part of the faith process, right? For sure, and Which, people get real and, scared of that that aren't like in tune with their shit. But, but it, it really was. Um, for whatever reason, there was there was a real threat there to the to the business. And so, and you know, that, that's of course my own storying of it. I don't know exactly how he'd say it. And I was a 25 year old fuck. I mean, I seriously, who's putting a 25 year old on a stage to like, you know, give wisdom or whatever. Like that's, that's, that's a little bit suspect anyway, but whatever. Well, I'll tell you what, Ryan, we're going to have that guy on next week to hear his side of this story. That's uh, (laughs) that's the follow up to your episode about why you were really fired from this band. Exactly. Thank you. I'll give you his name and phone number. (laughs) Please do. Um, So the thing is, is that uh, my now ex-wife, um, she had already started to like kind of spiral out from some of this like back and forth politic and she had started reading um, the autobiography of the Dalai Lama. And and then I, I ended up reading a book by an author named Brian McLaren. He wrote this book called A New Kind of Christian. And I think that book was the book that kind of like allowed me to step down. It wasn't – so the book itself is actually promising and optimistic, but it but it allowed me to step down from – the position that I had within the church. So the craziest thing happened when this, when I made that decision to step away from this, well, sorry, got fired from this. And then like from that began to step away from it altogether. The band dismembered. We, um, we went our separate ways. Um, but what's interesting is that a guy in Southern California picked me up to be part of an emerging church in Southern California. Now, at this point, I had no more skin in the game, or sorry, no more theatrics about it. So I was like, listen, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this for real. I'm not towing any line in the way that Andrew actually appropriately uses the term. <laughs> yes, thank you, thank I'm like, you. I'm not towing a line here. Like, I'm going to be real about this. So I end up, my ex-wife and I end up moving to this town in Southern California. The band's over. I end up becoming a worship pastor for this small church in Southern California. And we try to do it as real as we know how to do it. Well, unfortunately, the pastor who drew me in 
six months into it, still clearly so drawn into this idea of the numbers, the numbers, the numbers, he gets really depressed about how the church is not growing and he jumps ship. And so I'm like, well, these people still need somebody. So I guess I'll be that somebody. So for the next year and a half, I basically try to pastor this small church. You became the like the speaking pastor. I became the person. Well, listen, let's be clear. 30 people. Okay. Right. So real so small. The speaking pastor, like I'm just the guy. So for the next year and a half, I'm helping these people, most of them post-church people who had wounds from mega churches. I help them lick their wounds and heal. And at some point I say, you know, I don't know that there's anything left to do here. I don't know that there is a Shangri-La that we could paint ourselves toward. So I say, it's time to be done. And that that really became the sort of like leaving of, of that was sort of like last, well, it was second to last approach of leaving um, the church world. I, I, I engaged with a few like intentional Christian communities after that. Mm-hmm. But even with that, there was always a bit of like, we're doing it right. The other Christians are doing it wrong. And I was like, there's still this right way, wrong way thing that I just found distasteful. And at some point, in the same way that Siddhartha said to the Buddha, listen, there's nothing more beautiful as far as teachings go than your teachings. But I feel like if I studied them and followed them, then I would only end up following the path that you had set for you to attain enlightenment and so at some point I had to completely cut cut ties and say, this is not the singular path for me to attain whatever it is that God has for me or the universe has for me or that I have for me. Yeah. Did you also feel like you couldn't, like you knew that you couldn't lead other people necessarily to their own enlightenment? That's a very good question. I, it's interesting to think about it now about the reasons that I left that church plant that I was a part of, but I think that is, I think that is actually the singular reason was I was already beginning to get some traction in a new direction, but they wanted to still just lick their wounds. And I was like, I can't stay here while you lick your wounds because you're probably going to have to find your own path. Now, I, I couldn't have articulated I wish that I could have articulated it so clearly at the time, even if it sounded arrogant. But instead, I just had to kind of blow it up and just be like, I'm done with this. Right. So this... I'm not proud of that, by the way. I'm not proud of that. Sure. But it's what it's, – it's just what I did. Put it sure. in your – Take the data, put it in your bucket, whichever I mean, bucket you want. But you could but... you could have just kept doing it, knowing that your heart wasn't really in it too, just to like try to keep keep this thing together too, right? You know, and I could have, and that could have right. been really you're, misleading you're right. as well. It it would have had its own. I mean, here's the thing: there is no risk free life. Right. Like like whatever you choose to do to stay in to bail out, like there's nothing that avoids the risk 
of the human experience. You can take an SSRI, you cannot take an SSRI, you can do mushrooms, you cannot take mushrooms. There's no avoiding the human experience. And it's taken me, listen guys, I'm four, how old are you guys? I'm uh, approaching 35. I'm a fresh 29. Okay, so I'm I'm 43 and I'm still young. I mean, look at me, I'm seriously young. (laughs) But... But that idea of finding the vaccine for the human experience has been a bit of, no, it has been the undercurrent of my life in some ways. Sure. And I don't believe there is a vaccine. I'm not saying there's not therapeutics. Right. But I'm saying that mushrooms are not going to make you whole. Yeah. And Christianity is not going to make you whole. Right, they're like, tools. They're tools that can help you cope with the fact that and this is sort of why Buddhism is dope is cuz it's just like yeah man, suffering is suffering is the thing. The human experience is the thing. It's the yeah. You can't you can't skirt it. Yeah. Big big amen to the like yeah, nothing is going to be the whole thing. I I very much agree with that. So, so at this age, you're you're like in your late twenties or early thirties as this unraveling starts to happen, or was this closer to that twenty five year old experience of kind of? Yeah, it was. It was probably late twenties, early thirties. Um, uh, or, or yeah, it was probably it was probably mid to late twenties that that particular unraveling happened. Um, and so you know, I end up my. My now ex-wife and I end up moving to Portland. We have a family. I start a business and I'm like, fuck it. I'm not going to do the spiritual stuff anymore. I'm going to be a merchant. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to create stuff. I want my hands to be dirty and, um, be, be in the, in life thing. Now there's a beautiful thing to that. And I do not regret starting my own business and having employees and, um, all that stuff, but I still was approaching it with this could be the real vaccine. Right. Just being the common person, the business owner. Um, hello. Oh, yeah. And she's back for more kisses. So, Love this okay. dog. What's this dog's right. name? It's enough. It's enough. It's enough. Hey, seriously, go. <laughs> mm. Mm. Wow. Go. Go. What is that sweet dog's oh. name? Oh, Lord of mercy. Her name is... Her name is green. Like the color. Okay. That's awesome. Weird, which, which weird actually, fucking name, but so, all right. I'll allow it. My kids name. My, my kids named her. So fuck you for saying that my kids came up with yeah. a fucking weird fuck name. Fuck you, Andrew. Fuck you. Such an insensitive piece of hey, shit. That's just how I put that data into my particular box. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's your so you, own Did you say a box? You don't even that's have a bucket? bucket. You don't right. even have a fucking bucket. My buckets are so deep that I renamed them to boxes. <laughs> hey, by the way, I'm just going to say this so that this is on record with you guys. My favorite Rich Mullins song, and I'm going to listen to it and probably cry after I get off this podcast, is called The Color Green. And it is such a beautiful song. Such a beautiful song. In fact, in fact that entire album um, is, is really one of the best albums in 
Christian music. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to listen to it and agree with everything that's suggested, but that song is like a mystics song about the, the beauty of God and nature. Um, so, okay. So, so I don't, I don't want to like belabor this story too much longer. Um, but, but, but I do want to reference this person who is as strange as it is to me, a polarizing person. And that is Jordan Peterson. So somebody, I don't even remember who was like, Hey, 12 rules for life is a great book. So this is, this is for me when I was very like kind of agnostic, I I never really tended toward atheism because it was, it was boring to me. It was, it was fundamentalist in the way that Christianity was fundamentalist. And so like atheism, like that certainty was just um, like, I, I enjoy Sam Keen, um, but sometimes he bothers me because he sounds kind of like the Christian fundamentalist I used to listen to. Sam Keen, um, who's I'm not sure I know him. Uh, I feel the uh, same way Sam about Keen, Sam Harris. No, no, Sam Keen. He's a oh, actually, no, I do mean Sam Sam Harris. Sam Keen's a, a really incredible author, but Sam Harris is but, who I'm talking dude, about. I feel right the same Thank way you. about like all the great eight. Like I feel the same way about Richard Dawkins. I'm like, yeah, he's clearly a yeah, smart I'm dude, like, but listening to him talk and listening to him talk about the Bible in particular is just like it sounds the exact same as a super conservative Christian fundamentalist talking about Rambo. And it's just like, dude, but you, you're not seeing anything about like how it actually is. Exactly. 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 And I think that was certainly the disappointment for me about like, I thought that like, I'd come over to like the, the left, I'd come over to the, the atheist or the agnostics. And like, I'd find like yeah, people who like really, I was like, oh, no, it's the same old shit, just like different. And different so like, I, I keep using this word <laughs> animate. Uh-huh. And again, it's like the outcome is animated by the assumption. And the assumption is animated by the question. And the question is animated by some level of like what you're how you line your buckets up. And there's that whole quest for certainty, I definitely have a deep quest for truth. I've given up on the quest for certainty, though. That's that's that it's 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 too it's too fraught. Well, if there's one so anyway, thing I'm certain about, it's that that is uh, that is a legit position to take. Yeah, I dig that. Yeah, I'm with you. So that that Rich Mullins song, "The Color Green," I I would. I play it as your outro. Like it's such a beautiful song. Um, and you know, here's the thing we talked about this early on, like the prophetic nature prophecy, the prophets were always the outcasts. They, they did not fare well in the old Testament. And Jesus as a prophet did not fare well <laughs> in the new world. And what happened? You know, another prophet that I have just come back to appreciating because I've really hated on him for a decade or more now is Paul. Paul is what made me say, fuck Christianity. For sure. Sorry, sorry. Well, we're going, we've been going through the book of Acts. Um, and such a beautiful book. 
Yeah, but like it's like right after this sort of mystical reading of the New Testament and then you get into Acts and the rest of the New Testament and you're sort of like, oh shit, now we're already seeing how this is like getting adopted in a completely different way. Um, yeah. But anyways, to your, I've, been, to your I've really about, been enjoying the acts though. Like, I don't know. I've been, I've, I've gotten a lot sure, out of sure reading through it, but yeah, you're right. There's, there's also a lot of that. Well, going so on. let's, let, let's talk about this in modern era because it, it's, it's good to, it's good to like frame this out in how all movements work because the, the, the prince, the 80, 20 principle actually holds fast over long periods of time. So you have founders. So now when we think of founders, we, we're, we're talking about like tech companies, social media companies. So you always have the founders and the founders are usually individuals and or groups. And so they have an intention. And so they create a technology. Really, you could probably frame it all under the, you could use technology broadly, like that Christianity was a new technology about how the human um, species could operate, but so you create a new technology. Well, then you have the early adopters and the early adopters actually are not just adopters. They actually are contributors. They actually yeah, innovators sort of in a way. workshop. What's that? They're like innovators. They have to innovate on the early iterations of the, of the yeah, thing. yeah. They, they help iterate. Exactly. So they're kind of like co-innovators, but you had this early person who was the the founder or the series of founders, and then you have the early adopters, and then you have all the late adopters. So by the time that you reach the stage where you have late adopters, you're now enacting the 80-20 principle, that 20% of the people do the work and 80% of the people reap the benefits. But those 80% of the people are also the ones who complain about, well, it doesn't do this, it doesn't do that. But they're not they're not stakeholders, so they don't contribute. They just complain. They're people that are in the stands of a basketball game saying, well, if I was that player, I would have done this. Or if I was the coach, I would have said like, well, you should have done this. It's the people in the stands that end up being the 80%. And this does hold true broadly. So when you think about the early movement of Christianity or any great religion or movement – there's that early energy and everybody wants to tap into the early civil rights days, the, the, the early church. Well, it's like, unfortunately, that energy is not – you can't approach that anymore because that's like saying, I wish I could have been around for Facebook when it first formed because I would have you know, done this yeah. thing. It's like – Too but, late. But that's not, that's not Facebook now. Facebook now is dealing with like Russian bots and it's like, so, so now you're yeah, critical you're of the racist Russian uncle bots. Who just like keeps posting. Racist <laughs> uncle. <laughs> Everybody knows racist <laughs> uncle. <laughs> Fucking uncle Daryl just being a shithead again. Yeah. So tie this in though to, I, I totally see what you're saying. And I, and, I, and I think you're on to something. Tie this back to you, you were starting to talk about the 12 rules for life. And again, I know this is a super polarizing person. I do think that the 12 rules for life is a very, um, very legitimate thought provoking text that is not polarizing if you were to read it, because he's not saying one rule is, uh, you know, disregard trans rights or any shit like that. Like <laughs> there's right. nothing in there. Right. So, so, yeah. so Jordan Peterson is the weirdest lightning rod for me in in modern times it's 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 this it's literally the strangest thing for me so 
I'm reading 12 Rules for Life. This is probably two years ago. And a good friend of mine who also loved the book sends me an article about how he's being critiqued as an alt-right person. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, how could what? that? I remember the first time I saw that too, and I was like, how could that even really be possible? And I was like, "Did has he like lost it? Okay. Anyways. Okay. Okay. Wow, this okay. uh, green is back. And she wants she's kisses. back. She's back. Kisses. That's exactly what we call them. Um, so I read the article. I'm like, oh, I mean, it's weird, but like, okay. Well, as I begin to think about it, so I'm going to talk about this and then I'm going to talk about my own personal experience of it. We're all looking for answers. And Jordan Peterson came up with a particular narrative. His bucket was a fresh bucket. And the way that he was putting the data into the bucket was kind of liked by people on the left and on the right, but especially by the people on the alt-right. For me, Jordan Peterson gave me back Jesus. Now, to be fair, I had read Richard Rohr just before that. I read um, Falling Upward, which is sort of a book Ugh, about love your first upward. your first 40 years of life versus your – or your first half of life versus your second half of life. And that was the first like kind of Christian book I'd read in a very long time. But Jordan Peterson gave me back Jesus because, again, I don't know if you remember, but at the beginning of this, I was saying I was a very serious child. I took things very seriously. I'm still a very serious person in ways that sometimes I wish I was more playful. And But 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 my nature is 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 rather serious. And Jordan Peterson's, you know, dude, he is like you on all of the uh, fucking steroids and a, psychedelics combined. A thousand times. Yeah. 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 For Jordan sure. Peterson is a in terms very of the seriousness, person. like he's so yeah. serious. Right. <laughs> and and. Jordan Peterson, because he's a serious person and because he's not promoting some sort of like return to Christianity, he really isn't. But he is talking in a in a very so, – so Joseph Campbell would be kind of the yin to, um, to, to Jordan Peterson's yang. Sure. Jordan Peterson's like, listen, we lost Christian values and that came at a cost. And Joseph Campbell's kind of like, listen – mythology provides a certainty for people. I love Joseph Campbell, by the way. I love both we have, of them. Friend, we have it's a segment guy. on this podcast that we call Joey Cam's Understands, where we bring up a Joseph Campbell <laughs> quote, and we just pontificate on it a little bit, because goddamn, what an amazing, a gem of a thinker, and uh, such such an important contribution to all of this in terms of understanding ourselves. Uh, I think, yeah, understanding... Understanding the myth and the hero's journey is essential, just like I think understanding Jesus's real message is essential. I mean, talk about being prophetic. Like, I think Joseph Campbell is one of those cats. And and to that point, like, Jordan Peterson, I think, might pan out to be that way a little bit in history as well, depending on how things unfold. So I will say, so I, I said Joseph Campbell is the yin to, to Jordan Peterson's yang. I really mean that. I think that Jordan Peterson is as important as as Joseph Campbell. Now, Joseph Campbell 
in a liberal society is much more tolerated. So palatable. So palatable. Now, I'm not saying he's weak. I love Joseph Campbell, and I'm so deeply grateful for his work. But Jordan Peterson comes out on a little bit more angular side of things. But listen, we're living in a more angular existence than yeah. when Joseph Campbell was writing that his Joseph stuff. Campbell message now just gets lost in the ether of like inspirational yeah. Instagram posts. Like it's exactly yeah. it's it's, it's kind of just like it could almost if you're a low level reader, it could almost just be like new age fluff. Yeah, for sure. Well, Jordan Peterson has Jordan Peterson has claws, and and so. With that, when you when you start to talk about how hierarchy is actually deep deeply embedded in nature, and we have this conversation in 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 the public right now about toxic masculinity and about oppressive hierarchy, well, or even yeah, about Peterson even about comes out as a even about how we should just say fuck the weak right now, <laughs> let him die, so that I can have a normal life and a haircut. I mean, like, that's its own form of hierarchy as well. That's sort of very much in the zeitgeist for a lot of people. And I think even if you're compassionate and you say, oh, no, absolutely not, like, there's still a little piece of your shadow at the very least that's like, ah, but maybe. <laughs> okay, so so you made this comment at the beginning or early on about how uh, you were that author and then the, there was this comment about how Mother Nature is chaos. Well, one of the things that Jordan Peterson pieced together for me is that nature is not chaos. Nature is chaos and order. And if you read his books, Maps of Meaning, which is a very heavy, heady book, he actually really gets into that much more deeply about nature is perfectly ordered and perfectly chaotic. Right. And our ascription about mother nature again at first being feminine that we call her mother that well there is a chaos to the femininity and there is an oldness to masculinity but that nature embodies both there's something about his approach mm. that is beyond third wave feminism and is beyond toxic masculinity and is beyond fundamentalist christianity or fundamentalist uh, atheism that there is a balance of chaos and order but we all grew up in a time of and in a society of order right. so perhaps there is a backlash against order right now perhaps 9-11 was chaos whether it was inside or not perhaps coronavirus is chaos inside or not it's not that it's not that order is then called out as a fucking theater or fucking bad nature orders itself. It's not just chaos. It, it somehow pulls both or pulls from both or creates both. I mean, think of fractals, think of all the things that are right. so ordered or even just in life itself. You don't get flowers and life without order, but then you also probably don't get murder hornets without chaos. So, right. Well, you also don't get particular flowers without care. I mean, it's it, it's all everything. I mean, I, I've said <laughs> yeah. this before, and it, and it, it's so it's so limp. But everything is everything, over and over, all of the time. 
And that could just sound like mushroom speak because in a lot of ways it is. Yeah. But to me, it is deeply truthful. Everything is everything over and over all of the time. Right. Which was my point earlier when, when you're talking about like, you know, would God contain evil? And I'm like, well, of course. What do you mean? Because everything is everything. And nothing is also every, like, nothing is the same as everything somehow. I mean, it's just, it's a whole fucking rabbit hole that you can go down that will send you out into the streets living in a row <laughs> for the rest of your well, life. Well, yeah, or <laughs> shouting you, at put people. you in a, put you in a, in a, in a state mental hospital if those still existed. Right. So, so to your question, where did I get to how I, how I am now? And of course, how I am now is how I am today just like i said when you asked me about covid and how i'm doing today is today and tomorrow will be tomorrow but jordan peterson and richard rohr was were, were were two of the people that gave me back jesus and reminded me like listen i i'm not fucking interested in having a conversation with did jesus exist or not because it's uninteresting it's, to me it just doesn't matter right it, to, it joseph, doesn't to matter joseph to campbell's me. point it doesn't fucking matter it, because history over and over pulls up these people. And, you know, I'm not interested in defending Christianity. That's not an aim of mine. I'm not interested in that. I don't go to church. I'm not anti-church. But those people gave me back the wisdom tradition of Jesus, which is also, I can say, is the wisdom tradition of all. Now, different people, different buckets, different times, different buckets. I mean, you got to consider the time in which Jesus was in, the four fractions of the Jewish tradition at that time, what he was calling for. But all of the prophetic voices, all of them, all of them that I have ever read, Christian, Jewish, Hindu, Muslim, Buddhist, capitalist, Marxist, there's always a sense of remember. Let's stop with that. Okay, Green? That's plastic. <laughs> right. Remember. Remember your true so nature. When remember I work your diamond. Yeah. When I work with clients and I take them on mushroom journeys, my aim is acceptance of what is so that you might remember. Now, I'm not saying remember who you were as a child. I'm not saying remember the philosophical concepts you were given. I'm talking about a remembrance that's deeper and perhaps even more superficial than that. And I use those two because, because lest we go searching elsewhere. I spent a lot of my time being like taking a Parker Palmer approach of like, what was I good at as a child? What was the thing that like really enlivened, you know, like, like got, got, got me going. And that's, that's valuable. That That's an approach. But that was a particular child at a particular time with particular, you know, um, expectations of him. So there's something to that in going to your childhood and the search for who I am. But, you know, Gurdjieff had this approach that was, instead of asking, who am I, it was, what do you wish? Like, 
other people have talked about it with the question, what is it you really want? Now, these are questions that should haunt us because they haunt me. So fucking they should haunt you too. Also, like, (laughs) couldn't, isn't what you really want remembering who you actually are? You know, because like, wouldn't that be who you really are if you could figure out what you actually want and not just what you're filling your life with that you think you want or you think other people think you should want or should have? So let let me let me let me let me tease that out with a with a question or a an officer. I, I don't know what this will be, but when you were a young Christian. Did you ever wonder, so like the idea within Christianity, modern Christianity is that like when you die, you go to heaven, right? Did you ever wonder like who, which version of you you'd be in heaven? Like whether you'd be three-year-old or six-year-old Absolutely. or 13-year-old or 30-year-old or 90-year-old And you, I went like through a period in high school where I was deeply convinced that it was like, you're obviously going to be like five. I mean, Jesus says, be like a child. And that's sort of like, you're old enough to, you're old enough to like not shit your pants and you're young enough to still have childlike wonder um, and, and be unlearned enough to see the like beauty of everything. So yeah, but I did, I did wonder that. Right. So that idea of like, where is a person, where is the locus of a person? Where is the actual place point that is the true existence? Mm Mm-hmm. So there is this idealization of the the preconditioned self, and I, I get that. I mean, I I completely like five seems like a good number for that because at least in the Hebraic text, you know, there's some like seven to nine to twelve year old as being like the age of accountability, you know, depending on the culture, and that's like that's like basically when you enter young adulthood. But what I'm trying to say is that the question, who am I, and the work that you would do to try to figure that out. Like, so again, Parker Palmer is, he's a beautiful writer. I I love, Let Your Life Speak was one of my, has, has been one of the most amazing books I've ever read. And his take was like, what were you doing when you were seven years old? You know, what was that thing? Like, because that would tell you about who you are. And I love that idea. But Gurdjieff's approach and and Kapil Gupta's approach is what is your aim? What is your wish? What is it you want out of life? So it's sort of like what these teachers are doing are they are saying the question who am I is actually in service to the question what do I want? Now, listen, that, that's, that's a hard, like if you were to say, if you were to turn that around on me and be like, okay, Ryan, what do you want? Uh, money and titties. Right. That's <laughs> a very hard. I mean, it's, it's, it, it is, it's a challenging question. I've actually been Naval and Kapil Gupta just released a podcast yesterday. And, and that was the, the crux of their conversation was sort of a, 
what is it you want? Like we overvalue process and we undervalue outcome in this modern era. We say, oh, it's about the journey. It's like, but there's no journey without a destination in mind. And of course, there's emergent properties to that journey toward that destination that you can't calculate for, but you'd never engage in a journey unless there was a destination in mind. And there's something about that that's haunting to me because I'm like, shit, I'm 43 years old and I can't answer the question, what do I want out of life? I just want to experience love, bro. Oh, <laughs> look at you. This one, God is love, dude. This God one's love. blasted on an edible right now, so he's got <laughs> yeah. some a simple hey. answer. Mine's hitting pretty heavy as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm just I'm just trying to experience love though, for yeah. real. Like I'm trying to like yeah, in in all fashions cuz yeah, that seems to be like true, hopefully. <laughs> in yeah. some way. It feels good. It feels right. It feels good at least. Yeah. It feels good. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, shit, man, that's some heavy, some heavy, deep. Yeah. My, my stoned and half a bottle of wine mind right now is definitely like all over the place with that in terms of what I'm feeling. It's sort of, uh, hard to put into words. Yeah. On top of there being no vaccine, like you were saying earlier, you know, there's no, no vaccine. Yeah. No cure all like. A mushroom trip probably isn't like it could be profound right. and, and helpful, if they ever but it's not going to be like much, much like the COVID vaccine. If they ever find a vaccine for the human experience, you better believe it's going to have a tracking chip in it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Are we really going there? <laughs> Sorry, guys. I hate to bring this up again, but just want to point out. Uh, Listen, guys, let's just be clear. Coronavirus is created by 5G. Yeah. I yeah. mean, we let's all just, know it. Let's just right. make that abundantly clear. It's um, Sprint. It's Sprint and T-Mobile. That's basically cool. they're so, the Illuminati. So you're at this point now where you're really... You know, I feel like I'm still sort of in this phase, this exploratory phase, sort of leaning into like uh, leaning into the unknown and the uncertainty and the mystery of life. And, and that's been a good place for me to sort of operate spiritually. And it sounds like you're sort of in this. I don't I don't I, to me, it sort of feels like like maybe a, a, a further phase of then, you know, kind of like. It's sort of like when you were talking about like nature is both order and chaos. And so now you're in a phase where you have to like simultaneously learn and unlearn all at once. You can't just be deconstructing. You have to be deconstructing and constructing sort of together so that you can, yeah, like get at some of these, some of these really like deeper concepts of who am I or what do I really want? Well, I wouldn't even say that it's a, you must do this, that is that you must deconstruct or you must construct. I think it's more that that's just the nature of things. I mean, nature is constantly deconstructing and constructing. And so we find ourselves, you know, we conceptualize ourselves outside of nature, but the truth of the matter is that we are deeply within nature that even society is in some weird way within nature 
So if you if you accept that proposition, then there is always an order and chaos that's always swinging back and forth and, and at the same time in balance. I, I'm not... So listen, there's people who are certain about uncertainty. And so that would be your postmodernists mm-hmm. that would say that like, there's really no accessing truth. Right. Then you of course would have the, the remaining absolutists that are certain about certainty, but there's still what animates both of those things is a certainty about something. And I'm sympathetic to both sides. But I think that, you know, like the one great takeaway in Buddhism for me, I'm not Buddhist. I'm not, I don't know if I'm anything, but I'm not, I'm I'm certainly not Buddhist and like, I don't go to, you know, I, that's not something I engage in, but the idea of non-attachment is an interesting elixir in postmodern times that we are living in. Right, because you, then you can't even be attached to your uncertainty. You have to be uncertainly uncertain. Exactly. Exactly. And listen... We want the t-shirt. Yeah. We really do. I like we t-shirts. Want some, we, we want handles. And I, there's, there's that, and that's so deeply human. So I don't, I, like, when people are like, yeah, I think it really is this. I don't hate on them for that, whether it's conspiracy right. or pro-Trump or anti-Trump. I don't hate on them for that because, because to me it's just like, well, yeah, I want a T-shirt when I wake up in the morning. Yeah. So that's that. That's that's fine. That said, truth hides in plain sight, and also under the rock you never considered. Damn. Mm. Yeah. It's fucked up. It's really yeah. genuinely fucked up. I like but that. But I tell though. you what, you read Jesus, I swear to God, he just said something similar to what I just said. Yeah, for sure. We yeah. just finished going through the Gospels, and I would say you're absolutely right. Speaking of, um, well, I want to be respectful of your time. I don't know if we have any more time with you, but if we do, I would love to go through these 10 verses in Ephesians and get your short mini sermon on it. Do you have the text in front of you? I do. I could, I could read it out loud if, if that would be helpful. Why why don't you read it? Because I don't actually have anything pulled up in front of me. Okay, perfect. Cool. So we're this, this is Ephesians chapter six verses 10 through 20. Uh, This little segment is titled the armor of God. And it says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which, uh, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So that this is Paul, right? This is Paul talking to the Ephesians. Yeah. 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 He wrote it while he was in prison. Yeah. He was locked up. Locked up. <laughs> so Paul is the most complicating part of the New Testament for me. Um. But again, I've, I've come to be sympathetic when you think about how movements evolve, you know, years later, decades later, centuries later, what was originally intended. And I think the key piece there for me is what we battle against. So... You know, uh, the, cons the conspiracy theorists can run wild with this. But again, I think that being conspiracy theorist is a deeply human condition because the question is, what the fuck is actually going on? And Paul gets at that a little bit of like, look, you're thinking flesh and blood. You're thinking, you know, you're thinking soldiers on the ground. But like there's actually like these higher planes and my goal. So I'm, I've said this before, I'm 43. I had not taken a psychedelic before 40 years old. And before I ever encountered psychedelics, I had said to myself, I want to see things from a different vantage point, from a different plane of existence. And so psychedelics were one of those things that helped me get that new vantage point. And so I pull Paul into this, whether he would like to be pulled into it or not. You're coming along, Paul. Well, let's just be clear. I mean, Eleusis was not far from uh, 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 from from Ephesus. So this idea that whatever the binary is, you're pro-Trump, anti-Trump, pro-vaccines, anti-vaccines, Republican, Democrat, that we battle not against flesh and blood. There's this like 
dichotomy that he's setting up about, and he does this in other places as well, but that there's something other on a, uh, to, on a higher level happening. I don't mean higher level like Illuminati, although it could be Illuminati. I don't yeah. really know. <laughs> could be some smoke and but mirror that shit. <laughs> but that, you know, you begin to watch Westworld and you're like, oh, it's a theme park for people who want to engage in sexual and violent activity with 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 AI hosts that look like humans. But by the time that you get to season three, spoiler of alert, World, possible possible spoiler alert. <laughs> by the time that you get to episode or, or season three of Westworld, you realize this is really about human behavior. There's a thing underneath the thing or a right. thing above the thing, however you want to think about it. And so to me, what's interesting is to consider what other planes are in activity. We battle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the principalities. Yeah, the authorities. Like, yeah. The authorities. Now, the thing is, is that the flesh and blood that you might think about might be the people that you currently think about are the rulers or principalities. So what I'm saying is that there's always this up-leveling, down-leveling of what's actually happening that to me is a more interesting conversation. I've used that word over and over in this podcast and I use it all the time, which is animate. So when I read Donald Trump's tweets, I ask, so, so he makes the tweets, his conservative base goes crazy, the left goes mad, and I ask, what animated that tweet? What's he trying to do with the logos power of throwing those words out? Because everybody's just either saying, oh, he's with us, or oh, he's such a dumb shit, and I'm like, What's the thing that's animating that? And what's so so interesting about that question, though, is just that he, um, and I'm sorry to put a pin in this for my stoned thought, because this is going to be a very stoned thought, but he, (laughs) um, he does, he might not even be consciously, um, trying to animate anything and, and likely he isn't, but something is trying to animate through him. Uh, in the form of that, and and it is be it's doing so successfully. So it's just sort of this, yeah. Like when you talk about leveling up or thinking about sort of this other realm, I mean, there you have it right there. Like you have sort of, you know, cultural ideas and tropes and identities and all of these things that are that are attempting to be animated, and they're doing it through this person who is their own little, you know, sort of boxed in conception of a thing. Uh, but it's bigger. It's bigger than him. It's bigger than this one person. There's something behind it that's much, much bigger. That's anim- animating everything. Right. And I'm not. I'm not sure what position Donald Trump is on the chessboard. Part of me really thinks that he's a pawn. Now it's possible that he's a king or a queen, but I'm I'm bent in the direction of him being a pawn. But the point is, is what you just said, Andrew, what animates him? So to me, when I bring that home, 
when I'm not being conspiracy theorist or whatever about it, it's just like, what animates each of us? I mean, when you ask the question, who am I? You could look at how you arrange your day and you could actually answer that question quite readily. When you ask the question, what am I actually about? What do I want? You could actually look at your day and suss out from that. Now, there'd be part of us that would be like, yeah, but that's not who I want to be. That's just who I am in this given situation. But all we are is ever in a given situation. Right. There is no vacuum. There is no pure space where Andrew is his true self. No, right. you're Except always... Except on five grams of mushrooms. <laughs> Maybe. I'm kind of just fucking around with that, but I'm also a, like a one quarter serious. Well, yeah, you're probably not. You're not worrying about whatever what anybody else thinks about what you're doing at that point. So there, yeah, there's absolutely that. No, sir. And even but, if I was, I am them. Yeah. So I think I think like one of my biggest takeaways from like the mushrooms experiences, like those heavy doses, though, is the perspective thing, and that we're all just fucking out here. Nobody has to be here. And and you can't like pretend to understand why people do things. Like if you haven't experienced the world through their eyes, like even the dumb shit they do or the, the stuff that you think is like terrible or just like, why do, a, why do, why do people vote for Trump? Like, I don't, or like, why do they support him? It's like, I don't know. Like, I don't know why people you know, murder each other or display like abusive behavior, but it's usually because they were abused or, you know, dealt with some shit like that. So it's, it's just interesting. Like even just like within, you know, romantic relationships, you know, there's, there's always like communication issues in those usually. And it's because it's just really hard to see the world from someone else's eyes. Cause we all are experiencing something different, even if it looks similar. Right. And I, to me, Donald Trump is actually not so unusual. I think that a lot of people are like, this guy is like fucking off the rails. And I'm like, I think the shadow of America. Sure. It's, he's got claws maybe, but. It, perhaps he's yeah. got claws, but like. He's sharper, but. But the, there's a. If, just if not in a good can't, way. Yeah. <laughs> If you can't say like, and this is, you know, we, we worked through this at the embody retreat that Andrew and I were at is kind of a, um, you think of the things about your enemy, your antagonist. And, and if you can do the work of saying, oh, that person is bad, just like me, or, oh, that person has those strategies just like me. I have strategies. If you can't do that, then you're living in some sort of nether space where you're suggesting that there's a part of the human experience that you're somehow away from. Right. No, I'm not I'm not saying that everybody should ex I'm not saying that everybody should be like, "Oh, Trump is just like me." I'm not I'm not I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying that if you if you can't find any um if you can't say that you've never been um strategic in a way that's problematic in the way that a lot of us think about Donald Trump 
I don't know that you've really dealt with your shadow. And that to me is problematic. Mm-hmm. Again, this isn't, this is, so listen, I, I like, I, I delved deep into the, the deep state, um, cabal documentaries and the biggest problem for me in them, because they, they, they throw a lot of stuff out there that's like, okay, interesting. I'll consider that. Like, I wasn't pro-Hillary. I voted for her because I didn't want to vote for Trump. But I wasn't pro-Hillary. But, like, but like you, you delve into some of the deep state stuff, and it's like, yeah, some of this stuff makes sense. But what's crazy is that the deep state always ends up making Trump their hero. And I was always like, I can't go there. A man right. with a 300 word vocabulary. I can't go there, but it does dismiss a part of me. It does dismiss the idiot part of me that I don't want to deal with, but I'm an idiot for sure. I'm honest. Hey, we did this and th- this can be a quick plug for, for this men's retreat that I went on, which you guys are still doing maybe i know you had I mean, one plan that probably got canceled maybe you'll figure out a virtual thing yeah. um but i attended this back in november and a really powerful exercise that we did was yeah what you're talking about and, and kind of noticing people's bullshit and then going well just like me and my bullshit um and one of the exercises we did uh was specifically around around this concept i remember rainier asking like what are you definitely not what are you most certainly not? Mm. And I thought in my mind, well, I'm not an idiot. I know I'm not an idiot. And then the exercise was, okay, everybody here, uh, think of a moment this week when you encountered <laughs> Andrew that he was kind of a fucking idiot. <laughs> and for me to sit and think about all the times when I have legitimately been an idiot, and there's so many, um, and yet I'm certain that I'm not. And so, yeah, it's it's that... It's that noticing that, um, and Jung talks about this, which is essentially like, you know, all that you despise in others, you despise most in yourself. Right. Yeah. So when you see that hatred, when you see, you know, idiot bullshit, dipshits doing all kinds of weird shit everywhere, like you, there's a part of you that has that. And it's, it's kind of why you despise it so much is because you know that you also have it. Right. Well, there's, there is, there's that like magnetism, like anything that you're against your or anything that you're drawn to has a magnetic pull from one side or the other. So it, it's a defining thing. And that's one of the things that I, when I think about Eastern thought, there's sort of a, a letting go of being for or against, which is why I find myself in uncharted territories when I'm around people who have you know, real, especially in Portland, like everybody, you know, almost everybody hates Trump in Portland. Dude, and try, I, I'm try not bringing up Jordan Peterson in Portland. Well, yeah, that exactly. Might even be worse. I, I, right, exactly. And it's like, I, I don't because I'm not, because I don't want to engage on that. I don't want to engage on that magnetized level. Dude, it's the same thing as trying to talk to someone who's uh, anti-abortion. Like someone who's convinced that Jordan Peterson is an all right monster. Like they have the facts. They're sticking to them. That's their reality. <laughs> Good luck changing their mind. Right. Why engage? Exactly. And so like my ability to communicate with people who are so heels dug in, it's just faded. Now, listen, I'm 43. I don't have fucking 
you guys have more patience for this perhaps than I do. I don't. I, like, don't it, I don't it, have any interest in like well, putting and, my and energy of, into that shit. And, and part <laughs> of it is like, I actually wonder if like, no. you know, the, the mid, like we've been told there's this like alt-right side of things. It's like super fucking crazy. And we don't want to be a part of that. And then there's like far left leaning thing. And let's like, I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to be a part of that either. Extremism on either side, yeah. I don't fuck with. And sometimes right, the here, far left, the even thing. though I'm more closely aligned with this, sometimes I'm like, it feels worse right now. It feels like yeah, the yeah, worst. for sure. And so, and 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 part of me is like, but it's it's actually it's 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 misrepresenting the reality of things that most of us are somewhere in the middle. Most of us are somewhere in the middle. It's just that like. The people on the loud left or the people on the loud right, that's They're what loud. gets news headlines. They're very loud. They're very loud and they get the news headlines. They're angry. People in the middle who are like, yeah, kind of, but like the Joseph Campbells of us, we're not being reported on right now. The Eric Weinsteins, we're not being reported on right now. It's kind of a, eh, I can't put you in this far left or far right category, so I just won't report on you at yeah, all. Dude, Eric Weinstein got reported on for that one moment and then he started opening his mouth and talking and then people were like oh uninteresting because he's incredibly just like moderate and very reasonable so yeah it's interesting that you that you well, bring that up so so uh, we're getting late here so i don't i don't want to go much further but let's even consider that 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 you would say that eric, eric weinstein was suddenly in the realm of moderate so that's on a particular plane i would actually say on other planes eric weinstein would be completely unmoderate unmoderate from the consensus reality that you either are far left or far right so there's all these multiple planes that we live on and to me i'm just not interested in the are you for trump or against trump conversation it's not interesting to me anymore like if that's where the conversation goes, it's just not interesting to me. Like I want to know what animates the for Trump, anti-Trump. I want to know what's under it. Now right. listen, the, this gets you into what gets people into conspiracy theory or gets people into wearing robes in the streets. But I, I am tempted to go to those places Instead of just saying T-shirts all the way, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. <clears throat> Diving into the to the waters. Um, you know? fucking a. What are we almost at three hours here? What are we doing? It's it's been <laughs> a long time. Yeah. Um. Do you have, have anything you want to wrap this thing up on? Would you like to plug anything? Ryan, no, we I don't can need definitely. A plug. Okay, All right, well, I'll do a couple plugs for you. We can put um, that information check in out, the episode notes. Yeah, for people. check out check out Enzo Winery. They make really amazing wine and have a beautiful space. And hopefully, sometime this summer, uh, maybe you'll be able to go enjoy that. But for now, you can get uh, you can pick up wine there. Maybe you guys are even doing deliveries. I don't know. We are. You're doing deliveries as well. So if you like wine, uh, that's a great option. And. I don't know exactly how to plug your, but I, I, do, I do know that you do, yeah, these sort of guided spiritual journeys. You're also um, a coach for like entre entrepreneur business type stuff, right? 
Nope, don't do that anymore. Don't do. Okay, um, yeah, f- we said fuck that one. But um, you could, yep, yeah, you're just an all around uh, a great dude. I super appreciate your time. Um, and I don't know if you have any any final thoughts on all of this. I mean, we've certainly just been kind of roving through um, all sorts of territory. I have no idea how coherent this conversation is going to be. I'm too stoned right now yeah. to to know if it's going to turn yeah, out coherent. I don't, I don't but... think we'll know. I, I don't think we'll know until we listen back to it. But I, I, I will say this. Life follows a relatively incoherent pattern that we make coherent later. So this conversation, even though we might have gone from here to there to everywhere... It is somehow a part of nature's order and chaos all the same. So Hell it is yeah. what it is. Hell yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And we'd love to have you back on sometime. I definitely would like to like dive deeper into the, the psychedelic stuff and, and kind of oh, your, sure. uh, your guidance with that type of thing and, and the stuff you're doing Maybe with that. Maybe we'll even make a huge mistake and do an entire episode on Jordan Peterson. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna get canceled, get canceled so we're canceled get dude. canceled from everything canceled uh, uh yeah thanks for yeah thank you for your time and yeah, and man. uh your transparency with your your journey and whatnot yeah it's good to see you you're you're looking well even though it's virtually you are you are looking good so i hope that i got a haircut a buddy of mine trimmed my hair so so i i, I look uh 10 years younger than i am right sure now. nice right on <laughs> um well, we'll put all those that information in the episode notes and uh smoke pray love bless up bless up thanks guys thank you yeah appreciate you brother cheers <laughs> brothers and the moon is a sliver of silver like a shaving that fell on the floor of a carpenter's shop must have its builder and I awoke in the house of God where the windows are mornings and evenings stretched from the sun across the sky north to south and on my way to early meetings I heard the rocks crying out I heard the rocks crying out Be praised for all your tenderness By these works of your hands Suns that rise and rains that fall to bless And bring to life your land Look down upon this winter wheat And be glad that you have made Blue for the sky and the color green And the wrens have returned and they're nesting In the hollow of that oak Where his heart once had been And he lifts up his arms in a blessing For being born again And the streams
dreams are all swollen with winter. Winter unfrozen. I'm free to run away now. And I'm amazed and I remember who it was that built this house. Come with the rocks I cry. Be glad.